Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Folks, Dr. Tim Jordan back here with a new episode of Raising Daughters. And if you're the kind of parent who wants to be and remain an influence in your daughter's life, then you are in the right place. And the topic today, I think, will be of interest to you. I, I spoke to you guys in a podcast a few months ago about how and why youth sports went off the rails and why it's so nutty these days. But I thought I would I would look at a specific part of that conversation today, because I think you know as I as I explained in the podcast. Uh, recently, sports have gotten so competitive and so cutthroat and so intense uh, for kids, for their parents. Um, there's this pressure to hyper-specialize earlier and earlier. Uh, youth sports has become so expensive and so time-consuming. And I think that some of the results that are that we've noticed in the last 10, 20 years are things like overuse injuries and burnout and anxiety. And so it begs the question what's the end goal when it comes to youth sports and when is enough enough and where's the line and who is this really about? Is it really about the kids and what's in their best interest? Is it about the parents or is it about money and business? But today specifically, I want to talk about what's the effect of all these changes in youth sports? What's been the effect on girls? And to aid in this conversation, I invited a guest today. Her name is Linda Flanagan. And she's a freelance journalist who has written for lots of publications, including The Atlantic and Runner's World, uh, lots of NPR education sites. She's also the founding board member of the New York City chapter of the Positive Coaching Alliance. Uh, and she's been part also of the 2020 to 2021 advisory group member for uh, the Aspen Institute's Reimagining School Sports Initiative, which is a mouthful. And But most importantly, she wrote a book this past year called Take Back the Game. How money and mania are ruining kids' sports and why it matters. So I think I think she has lots of information she can offer us about the effect of all this nutty sports stuff on our daughters. So thank you so much, Linda, for for coming on board. Well, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. And I want to let people know it's an awesome book. I I read a lot. I really enjoyed this book, which is why I got a hold of you because I I thought there was a lot of good information in it about what's happening with sports today, its effect on kids. And all of that. Um, and but before we start talking about the book and the topic about the effect on girls, I first want to ask you, like I do most of my guests, how you got to this place in your life where you're a, mm. a writer and especially that you're writing so much about youth sports and you have such a passion for it. I'm curious about where all that came from. Uh, well, I mean, I've had a lifelong interest in athletics. I've played sports most of my life and continue to um, be very active. I'm a, I'm a runner still and I do other activities so it kind of I, I got here sort of organically through my natural interest in athletics and then a lifelong um, interest in writing I've always been a writer of some kind you know but I, just to say that I would ever imagine myself where I am right now 
when I was young is, you know, would be ridiculous because I never would have thought I would be here. But, so you know, when you're 18, of, so, so when you're 18, you didn't visualize yourself writing a best-selling book not. about youth sports. Certainly not. It <laughs> happened organically and step yeah. by step and the way life works where you do one thing and then, oh, look, that's led to something else. And then, you know, that's the way life kind of evolves in my experience. And, you know, it, it happens sort of organically from my own interests of both athletics and writing. Yeah. And that's, that's the answer almost every adult gives. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, as we talked about a minute ago, unfortunately, most young people are not getting that message. They're getting the message. They should have it all figured out by the time they're 16 or 18 or 20. And they're under so much stress. You have three kids yourself. They're under so much stress and pressure. Like you should have it all together. And if you're not, you're behind. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, would view it as a caution, a cautionary. It would worry me if any of my kids felt like they knew exactly what they wanted to do, um, yeah. even in their mid twenties now, because who knows, you know, your life takes turns and, you know, you just don't, you, you're, you change <laughs> over the course of your life too. And your interests vary and you end up kind of in a place you never expected. So tell our audience, um, by the way, we're talking to Linda Flanagan who is the author of a, a recent book. It's called Take Back the Game, How Money and Mania Are Running are Ruining Kids, Kids Sports and Why It Matters. Tell us a little bit um, about how you see girls being affected by these changes in youth sports. Well, um, you know, both genders are being affected. I should say the, the same pressures that girls feel, boys feel. Yeah. Um, I think both both feel that the stakes are a lot higher. It's much sports are a lot more important. Um, there's terrifying fear of failure, of making mistakes. And, and you know, I think this has definitely been the case. It has definitely increased, you know, even during my years as a coach. And I, I stopped coaching in 2019, but coached for 17 years. And I felt that that had increased among the girls, and I only coached girls, I should say, in high school, um, that there's just a great sense of anxiety about the future and that it, how that manifested in sports is that they were, you know, I kind of had to reorient them sometimes. That This is about the sport today and what it can do for you and as a person, as to make you a healthier person, um, a happier person. And it's not about um, some down the road goal about college or something. There was just a greater fixation on, you know, how this was a means to a bigger and more important end. I felt that that's one of the bigger changes I really noticed. And certainly since my own youth playing sports, that it just took on a much greater um, seriousness. Yeah. In your research for your book, Taking Back the Game, I'm curious about what you have learned, or maybe you learned this also just from your experience, about why parents have bought into this mania. Well, you know, as I lay out in the book, I think it's there's three real core reasons. The first is that there's a ton of money in youth sports now. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of individuals and companies are profiting off families, in effect. Um and they're profiting in part because there's an appetite for it. There's demand for it because parents feel very anxious about their kids' futures and how it's going to, how they're going to turn out in a way that they didn't used to be so much. Certainly my parents didn't. I suspect your parents weren't as anxious about um, 
healthcare kids. Um, and the third is college, the, the uh, staggering tuition costs, the difficulty in getting into college, all of this is kind of up the stakes. And a natural vehicle for that is through youth sports because it's a way into college. It's a way to kind of boost your status, to boost your child's status. And um, those three to working together have, have just made it so high stakes for young kids. Yeah, and I think I, I agree. I think all that manifests in lots of places, not just youth yeah. sports. But I, I tell parents that um, back in the 50s, when I was starting to grow up, um, there was an expression, keeping up with the Joneses. Uh, yes. And at the time, it, it was keeping up with the Joneses, i.e. your next door neighbors who all of a sudden have a new dishwasher or a new car <laughs> or a new appliance <laughs> or a new thing. And so I need to keep up with them because otherwise I'll get behind. That was mm -hmm. sort of like some of the frenzy back then. Mm -hmm. But if you fast forward to today, I think most people have stuff. But uh -huh. th so now it's not keeping up with the Joneses. In, in my experience, it's keeping up with the Joneses' children. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. parents look around. I'm sure you saw this with the kids you coached. And and there you see a kid across the street who's going to three high, three uh, camps this summer. And mm -hmm. they just hired a professional coach and mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, my God, my kid's going to get behind. If they get behind, they're not going to be able to yes. play in their high school. They don't get to play in high school. And then this this intense yes. anxiety. Well, well, and I think a part of that, and, you know, in to give parents their due, I think there's when you become a parent yourself, you kind of realize that you don't really know what you're doing. <laughs> We're all just kind of making it up as we go along. And based on our own parents and the examples we've seen with other families and, and frankly, what our neighbors are doing. And it it's very hard to resist that if, well, everybody else is doing this. What makes me so sure that I'm right to not sign them up for, you know, travel soccer in second grade? It Maybe there's something to it. Who am I to say they shouldn't? And I think that there's this feeling like, well, other people, if, if the conventional wisdom is that this is going to be good for the kids, then, you know, how can I deny them? And that kind of assumes that the crowd knows what's right for all the kids. And it's, yeah. it's often dictated by outside forces like the money, the, you know, the capitalist interests and uh, the college pressure. And again, this big shift in how parents view their kids and the kids have become have moved from our employees to our bosses as jennifer senior put it yeah. and that's you know so now we kind of gain our status or we'll keep up with um our neighbors by having our kids do wonderful things and, and basking in their reflected glory um that's kind of to me it's sort of obvious but um and I'm not sure if it has always been this way. I'm sure parents have, I mean, your parents, my parents wanted us, wanted their children to do well and were proud of us when we did well. But I think it's a, a it's much more pernicious now and um, harmful to both, to both kind of cohorts, both the parents and the kids. Yeah. We're talking with uh, Linda Flanagan, the author of a book called Take Back the Game, How Money and Mania are ruining kids sports and why it matters. Um, I, there was a study, I think it was in your book, or maybe it was an article about your book, mm. where they talked about some researchers at uh, Utah State. They found the more money the parents mm -hmm. devote to a child's sport, the less the kid enjoys it and the more pressure she feels. Yes. Yeah. That was done by Travis Dorsch. 
yeah. um, Utah State. Yeah, the Families and Sport Lab. He he's one of the few researchers that's really looking at the effect of competitive youth sports on families. And you know, if you've been um, if you're familiar with what the toll it can exact, you can see that there there is bound to be an effect on families. And one of the big ones is with all the money, you know, what is the effect? And it it's so interesting and revealing that the more parents spend, the less kids enjoy it and the more pressure they feel. I think that's so important for parents to think about when they're contemplating whether or not to, you know, do that extra camp or pay for that special coach. It's not, it's not going to help. Most likely it's not going to be in your child's interest. Yeah. And there's, and you, in your book, there's data that shows that if you look at a lot of most of the athletes who are in college and or who are professional, they, they didn't hyper-specialize. They played lots of different sports, mm-hmm. but them didn't, didn't get into their one sport until they were in high school or end of high school. But mm-hmm. we have this myth out there that says, if my kid isn't on the right team, by the time they're in second or third grade, they're screwed. Yes. Yes. All doors have been closed to them. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that's interesting that I, um, discovered in doing the research for the book is that virtually every um, medical society or group of experts who are looking at this issue, whether it's the National Athletic Trainers Association or the American Orthopedic Society, they all come out at the same point. Don't specialize. Don't specialize your kids before adolescence. don't, Don't encourage or allow, enable your child to do one sport year round before they, you know, 13. I mean, even then, in my view, that's too early. But, you know, now kids are being encouraged to do this in elementary school, which is just crazy. It's not, it's, they're more apt to get hurt. They're more apt to hate it. They're more apt to quit. It's just all, they're all for, you shouldn't be doing this, but cultural pressures are telling us to do otherwise. And a lot of this has to do with boys and girls. I agree with that. Yes. And, and you talk some in your book about there is some uh, different ways that girls interpret all this just based upon boys and girls are different in some ways. And can you talk about that just for a minute, just about the good girl kind of thing? And Oh, yes. Well, you know, we, we I had mentioned that I wanted to talk about um, why that girls need to be encouraged in ways to resist kind of. I think this is a subtle point to make um, where boys and girls are a little different in my experience, um, that you've seen, you know, girls are doing so well in school and they're graduating at higher rates. And, you know, there's all this great news about girls and now we're starting to worry about boys, which, you know, I think we should worry about both and care about both. But um, the girls, I think, have been rewarded for being cooperative. They've been rewarded for being compliant. I mean, I see it everywhere. I see it in where I coach. You know, just, yay, you're a team player. You always put other people first. And that's wonderful. But I think it, it there's we run the risk of giving girls the message that they should always do what they're told. And I don't know whether it's organic or it's cultural. I think boys are a little more apt to resist that to be, you know, to be difficult, to object, not the girls can object too, but I just saw it very often with the girls that they would go along. And as a coach, I appreciated that, you know, like we coaches and teachers want kids to cooperate, 
but it can take kids, girls down the wrong road. I think that they, I, I think parents should encourage their girls to, to understand that some behavior is not acceptable, um, that coaches can be, they can be bullies. They can be, you know, use physical punishment in ways that should not be acceptable and that girls shouldn't just, you know, say, you know, yes, sir, you know, how yeah. high. Um, and some of this, I guess it's more, it's true in every sphere, but I think it's perhaps more relevant in sports because um, some of that kind of behavior is normalized in sports, the yelling and screaming and all that has been normalized. So they don't think anything of it. I think parents should think something of it. I don't think it should be normalized, but, you know, I think boys and girls both need to um, be encouraged to uh, know when to, res know when not to comply. And, you know, if they're being, for example, weigh-ins this is something that some coaches do they have which is you know unfathomable to me but apparently it's done you know fairly often where they're weighed and that kind of thing is just not it's not acceptable and girls boys might be more apt to say okay I'll, uh, girls might be apt to say yes i'll do that whereas boys are like no i'm not doing that yeah um i'd, I'd really like them to to see them be a little more assertive about their own wishes um, instead of just going along with what the coach says. Um, sometimes they are more easily, I think, manipulated by both coaches and parents sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, I it seems funny or strange to offer this up, but I also think it's it's more likely to happen on with the girls who are the more talented athletes, strangely enough, and the mm. better teams because – then the stakes are higher for those girls. And if you look at what happened with the U.S. Women's National League, um, the soccer soccer league, where there was abuse that was rampant in this national these national teams, it's because it's so important. Those girls, it's so linked. Their ability to play at a high level is, is so vital to their identity that they they didn't run they couldn't run the risk of jeopardizing that by calling out a coach for being a you know, a, a predator. A predator, yeah. You know, I, um, my, my wife and I yesterday were at a school and we were working with a classroom of sixth grade girls. Mm -hmm. And so we, we had them make a list of all the qualities of a good girl, the kind of girl uh -huh. that your parents and your teachers want you to be, stuff you've, not what you think, but like what you've absorbed from around you. Yes. They made, I've done this, dozens and dozens of times at my retreats, my camps at schools, and they always make a very similar list. And there's, there's some things on there, like, you know, be obedient, mm -hmm. uh, not, uh, not speak up, put other people's needs first. There's a whole bunch of stuff that, that, that a good girl is supposed to be. Then after they make that list, we make a list of bad girls qualities. And it's things like, you know, speaking out and <laughs> don't care what other people think. And then let me, let me go back to both lists and say, let's circle the ones you think, well, maybe that's not such a good thing. Yes. And there's some things on the bad girl list. Maybe that's not such a bad thing, but mm -hmm. one of them is being able and willing to speak out and to not always make decisions based upon other people. For instance, I, you probably saw this with your coaching too. I see it in my counseling practice. I, one of the places I see that playing out in girls, which you just described is 
I'll see a girl who's maybe a sophomore in high school and she's depressed. And, and when I get her alone, she starts talking about how she's been playing soccer since she was four and playing all these super duper, you know, leagues and travel mm -hmm. and all this. And she hates it. It happens. And, and it's the obvious question is, well, why don't you just quit? And then you start to hear the good girl stuff. And she's like, I would disappoint my, my parents. I disappoint the coach. My They've invested teammates. so much money and time, my friends. Blah, oh, blah. Yes. And yep. so they just stay in the team because they have a hard yep. time getting past that. Not wanting to disappoint people think that I think is more common in girls and boys. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's just so, that just rings so true. I, you know, I, I applaud the parents who really talk to their kids about this and invite them to follow their their heart because you know you're if you're in high school you're you're young you know like and you've been doing this for so many years how long do you have to do something and hate it before you can say enough yeah you know uh i i I do think that is a real risk for girls and because they're, you know, put in these th programs at such a young age. Oh, and I have to tell you the story of a, a male coach. I one time asked, he was a hockey coach, girls team, and he'd coach girls and boys. And I said, who do you, do you have a preference? He said, oh, I, I so prefer coaching girls. And I said, oh, why? And he said, because they'll do exactly what you ask. They listen. <laughs> oh my God. And I thought that's, both it's kind of chilling you don't you know they need to be able to say no i'm not doing yeah. that i'm not doing that and again as a coach i always wanted the kids to do what i asked but at a certain point i you also want them to develop a little sort of agency yeah you know i i coached girls and boys teams when my kids are growing up and i one of the things that i noticed and um it's not true for every girl, every boy, but I think in general, maybe and maybe you can confirm or deny this, is if a uh, if the if a coach is upset because the kids aren't hustling and calls a timeout, if he has the girls come over and he starts yelling, you know, you guys aren't hustling, you guys are lazy. We we practice this. What's going on? And and the girls would be like, oh my god, he's so mad at me. The kid, the coach hates me. What did I do wrong? I'm letting my team down. Yeah. If it's a boy team and same thing happens and the, the coach says timeout and the boys come over, he says, you guys are not hustling. You're being lazy. We practice this. The boys look around like he's not talking to me. He's talking uh, to you yeah. guys. <laughs> <laughs> and or the coach is a jerk. Or the coach know? is it's a jerk. Coach is a, it's the coach's fault, you know, yeah. for having for being angry. You know, yeah, yeah. it's that's true. It's. Uh, yeah, you mentioned you know. that, that girls need to have more agency. But I also think parents do. And one of the things that you you talked about in your book, and by the way, this we're talking to Linda Flanagan, the author of a, a new book called Take Back the Game, How Money and Mania Are Ruining Kids' Sports and Why It Matters. One of the things you talked about, and I liked the, the expression you used, was that you know it's important for kids to take breaks from their sports, to have balance mm -hmm. in their life. And you said to always have obvious and conscious off-ramps. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I, li I like that expression. So can you explain what that means? Well, and I think I wrote about that in the context of those kids and those families where the child specializes at say, mm -hmm. you know, earlier than, you know, might be typically advised because, you know, say your daughter is 10 and she's all about soccer. She just wants to play soccer, 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 and she's great. And this is the path, you know, you might as a parent think, I know they're not supposed to specialize, 
It's not in their best interest, but she's so gung-ho. She really wants it. Okay, so then perhaps you can see it and say, okay, we're going to do that. At the same, providing off-ramps means saying, okay, at the start of every season, we're going to, we're going to check back in. Is this something you're still enjoying? Do you feel like uh, it's a good use of your time? Or is there something else you'd rather be doing? So like always give them a way out so that you don't end up with that sophomore girl who's been playing since, since she was four, who's absolutely miserable, but feels like she's going to let everybody down. I mean, parents always need to be reminded, I think, also that the sports are for the kids. It's not for the parents um, or the or the coaches. The whole activity is supposed to be for the best interests of the kids. And if you provide off ramps, then you're giving them permission to not do this thing they've been doing and they have grown to hate. Or maybe yeah. they just want to try something else. They still like soccer, but they want to give lacrosse a chance or tennis or whatever. But to be very conscious about it and not just kind of go through and assume everything has stayed the same. And get on that track that's that you have to just stay on because mm -hmm. because everybody else is doing it. Yes. And, I, and which is and a related point is about um this idea that tough being tough, toughing it out, grit, mm -hmm. you know, we've heard so much about grit yeah. being so vital. And I agree it's a resilience is important. You don't want people just quit the first sign of things being difficult. But I think kids and I can't say if it's more true of girls or boys. I don't know that, but I, I think that mindset can be very dangerous at the same time that you should, that there is somehow a virtue in suffering. And this is yeah. the greatest, you just have to continue to grit your teeth through this experience. And I just don't, I don't really don't think that's helpful and it's sending a good message to kids. Yeah. And also to me, it, it brings up the point that I think parents and their daughters, but probably especially parents when they're young, they need to team shop and coach shop because every coach doesn't yell yeah. at fourth graders. And yes. every coach isn't all about winning the national championship. Some are, yes. but some aren't. So I think yes. it really pays to do your homework. Yes, absolutely. Because what, what a kid gets from sports is entirely dependent on you know, the coach and the team, the league culture, all of that. And it's like you say, it is not all the same. They can learn wonderful things from sports. But, you know, if you put them in the wrong environment, it's it's not going to lead to the result you want. Assuming you want your kids to grow up to be, you know, healthy and well-adjusted, um, you know, and not using, using a cane when they're 25 because they've yeah. been so hurt over the years. I, I I helped coach one of my son's hockey teams when he was up through eighth grade. And I remember at the beginning of the season, I would gather the parents and say, okay, this is, you know, here's our schedule. There's X number of games and, and let's get mm -hmm. clear all of us together. How much is enough? Because there's tournaments in Michigan and there's tournaments in Chicago and there's all these things that we could do, but Endless I want to know what, yeah, I want to know what you guys want. And so if the if if the parents said we don't want to be gone every weekend, they might say, let's just do two out of town tournaments, you know, as an example. But then I I you know, I held them to that because there's always mm -hmm. another tournament. Yes. There's always another whatever. And so I think for parents, I, I encourage them. I think you do the same thing in your book. You encourage them 
take charge. The coach is not in yes. charge of your life and your summer yes. and your vacation. And yes. it, it, it yes. just kills me when there's girls who want to come to a week of my summer camp and they'll say, I want to come so bad, but I can't. Why not? Well, I have practice. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or I, I have a game. Uh, yeah. Okay. And it, what, but what they'll say is if I miss a game or I miss a practice, I'm off the team. And the coach basically says, and there are 20 girls in line back here who would love your spot. Yes. So there's tremendous mm-hmm. pressure. And, and so a lot of times parents kind of cave. Yeah, I know. And uh, in, in my experience, the the coach, the parents who don't go along with that, their kid doesn't pay much of a price. You know, honestly, Yeah. even they don't even have to be the star player. I'm not suggesting that we should give star players like you know, special dispensation, but that, you know, there's a lot of like kind of threats there that don't play out. And you just, you have to, it's your family. It's not the coach's family. And I always also think parents need to remember that the, the teams, the leagues, the coaches, they don't care about your family. It's not that they hate your family, but that's not their interest. They're trying to build a team. And if they think it means practicing 11 and a half months a year, that's what they're going to expect. And your family is not their issue. So you have to safeguard your family, protect your time together, your summers, maybe even God forbid a week after Christmas or, you know, Hanukkah or whatever, you know, holiday you celebrate that you carve out some time where we're not making practice. Yeah. You know, you had a question that I wanted to talk about um, that you've given me in advance about, how to raise daughters to have a healthy outlook on sports. I think that's really important to think about and talk about because there's a lot of wrong ways to go on that. Um, uh, I guess I should start with what is should not be emphasized and um, it, it can be hard not to. I've certainly heard it is one is for girls like, well, if you, if you take up running, it'll help you stay thin. It'll keep, your weight down mm. um uh, you know you'll look dancers better. runners dancers cheerleaders i hear that the most yes and it's not that's not why you're doing it if anything you have to say it's not about that because girls have that in every other aspect of their lives this is one of the great things about sports is that it's really i mean unless you're in something where you're judged by your appearance and there are those sports like skating and gymnastics it, with most, it's how good are you at something? You know, what is your skill and your ability? And that's so refreshing. And that's what makes sports so great. But it, it can't be about appearance. Like, don't make sports about appearance because we get that in every other domain. Yeah. The other is to talk about how it will get them into a better college. Um, not only because um, it makes then it like raises the stakes as we've been talking about. It's all about the stakes are so high and it's just 20 people behind me will take my spot and then I won't get into, you know, Boston College. Uh, it shouldn't be about that. That's not what it's for because it corrupts sports. And then the, the real value of sports, then they then that's lost if they're fixated on what this is going to do for my college prospects. Yeah. Um, you know, I think okay, that's what not to emphasize. What should be emphasized, in my view, is that this is an opportunity to have fun, to in, wait. What and enjoy, fun? What is what is that? 
Oh, I know. It's an alien concept, isn't Fun it? and Fun. sports. Let me think. <laughs> you better look it up. <laughs> old fashioned. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And enjoyment, even if, you know, because I would say, you know, not all sports are like, fun running my sport is not always fun but there's an enjoyment and a satisfaction that comes with doing it and especially doing it with other people so that like what the sport can do for you your growth your confidence um you know i i'm tempted to say talk to that talk to your daughters about the health benefits but I think all young people think they're immortal. So if you talk about like, it's good for your heart, you know, they don't really care <laughs> about that, you know, even though it's true. But yeah. if you can talk, if parents can talk about how um, it's, it's a way to meet people, it's a way to socialize in a natural, organic sort of way, um, that you can really establish tremendous relationships and friendships on teams, especially if you're having trouble socially for girls and boys too. It's probably actually in one one area where it's a little less fraught for girls. It's probably harder for unathletic boys. Yeah. But um, you know, girls who play sports have better self confidence. They have tend to have better body image. You know, there's all these wonderful things that go with for girls with playing sports, and that's what ought to be emphasized. Yeah. Um, and also, another really important thing is everyone is addicted to their phone. We all know that. And I include myself in that, sadly. But they, girls and boys, they also know it's not good for them. You know, but it's hard to resist. The good thing is when you're on a team, generally phones are not allowed. Like you have to have your phone away and in a game. So it's like kind of mandated time away from the phone and away yeah. from social media. And that there's a lot to be said for that. Um, and I think if you can play that up, um, Connecting, you connect in person. Connect in person. You actually get to know someone. Yeah. Um, and for younger younger girls, and you know, I don't know how persuasive this will be to them, but if you, I, I really saw it with my son that him playing on um, multiple town teams in, in all different sports. By the time he got to middle school, so when all those schools converged in one school, he knew so many kids. It was such mm. a such an advantage when he got to middle school because you know he knew so many kids from he'd been on this team with that kid who went to a different elementary school just eased that transition so it made it such a smoother transition and i don't know how persuasive that is for kids but if parents can realize that it's one more really important reason to encourage sports participation yeah can i ask you a related question Sure. I know we're almost out of time. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but you, there's a chapter in your book about coaching mm -hmm. and you make a specific point that our girls, this is true for boys too, um, but we need more women coaches basically is yes. what you said. And I, one of the things that I, I didn't realize, which was really shocking uh, is that since title nine, mm -hmm. I'll make sure I get this right. I can tell but, you. Oh, go ahead. 90% of women yeah. coaches, 90% of women's teams were coached by women in 1972, before Title IX was passed. And it's 42% in as of 2021. Ugh. Um, you know, that's because there's all this, the money started pouring into women's programs, so suddenly yeah. men wanted in on it. But that's better than high school or youth sports level. Yeah, you know? it's even lower. So I, I feel, I think it's a real shame 
And I would so love to see more women go into it. Um, because, you know, and one reason obviously is because you provide as a woman coach, just kind of everyday example of leadership, female leadership. And I think, I do think coaches and teachers are different because more teachers are women than men, but more coaches are men than women. But I think we often think of sports as a, a, a place to learn about leadership, which is interesting. And I'm not sure why that's not true in the classroom, but I don't, for whatever reason, um, we think of coaches as leaders and that's where kids learn how to be leaders. And, you know, it should be routine and every day, not attached to gender. And I think it's not only important for girls to obviously see that, but also for boys to like, this is not some freakish thing to have a woman in charge who might actually know the game as well or better than some guy. Um, there's no, it ought to be unattached to gender, particularly in those sports that both play, sports yeah. like soccer and basketball. Um, but it's so unusual, you know, like to see a woman coaching a men's team, it's like, it gets your attention. Like, wow, that's interesting. Whereas to see the opposite is just, you know, that's the norm. Yeah. Well, I remember coaching you know? my daughter's basketball team in grade school and middle school. And I would beg the moms, I, I would love for one of you to help me be so good for our girls to have, I never got to take her until I broke my, my elbow coaching hockey practice. <laughs> and my physical therapist was a woman and she was a college basketball player. And I was telling her and she said, I'll help you. Oh. And she came out and the girls loved it. This is woman was like six one and she was a great athlete. And, yep. um, and so I, I wonder if maybe 10, 20 years from now, because so many more girls are playing sports now mm -hmm. in the last 20 ish years. Yes. Than in the past that that might, maybe that'll take care of it. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with still the gender roles, of course. Yeah. And, the fact that, you know, coaching hours tend to be really um, lopsided to obviously to after school, like if you're a high school coach and, you know, if you're the hours are just not conducive to. If you're a stay at home mother to being home when the kids are home, if you have another job, it's complicated because you'd have to leave at three or three thirty. So it, it's really it's really um difficult i think for mothers in particular it's also like i mean i saw many men in, in this community that it was okay for them to leave work early to go coach their boys that was like you're being yeah. a good dad you know <laughs> um and i don't think it would be viewed with the same approval um but there's another reason why i think it's important for girls to have women coaches and that is that you know if if you look, if they are only coached by men or vast majority by men, then they're going to look at, um, there's no like then example of adult sports, adult female involvement in sports, you know, yeah. that it's, it's almost like it's something you do when you're young. Sorry, girls. But when you, after you're out of college or out of high school, it's, it's done. You had your nice little time playing soccer or basketball. Now it's done. Whereas with boys, they have these examples of men who are still involved in sports yeah. in some kind of important way where they're teaching them. And, you know, so if for women, it's like it's just something you do when you're young. And when you get older, then you take fitness classes to stay to stay thin 
or, you know, be in shape. It's not about competing. It's not about having fun with your peers in a game. And I, I think there's something that's lost there for girls. Yeah. So mom's listening to this podcast, get, in, <laughs> get involved. I, I remember it right. Like, for instance, when I, it would help coach hockey, uh, my son's team. A lot of the practices were at these obnoxious times, like literally five o'clock uh, on Sunday morning. Uh, and first of all, I love working with kids. So that was my main uh, yes. reason. But it's also because I would see these these mostly dads up in the stands, bleary eyed. I said, I'd much rather be in the ice skating around and having fun than sitting up oh, there yes. Yes. watching this go on at five o'clock on in Sunday a freezing morning. Rink, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I, I do think women are a little intimidated. Some some women are intimidated by it or afraid they're afraid they're gonna do something wrong or but most of this youth sports, especially at young ages, you know, you don't have to be an expert. Yeah. Okay. We're we're talking to Linda Flanagan the author of a new book called Take Back the Game, How Money and Mania Are Ruining Kids' Sports and Why It Matters. Um, I appreciate your time. Can I ask you one more? Uh, and this, We could talk a long time, so you can just give me a quick answer. One sure. of the chapters in your book is about college sports. And I have written blogs, and I have maybe even did a podcast one time about how I think they need to blow up college sports because uh, I think it's it's not good for anybody mm -hmm. other than people yes. who are making money. Yeah. And, and so I, when I read that chapter, I was like, Oh good. I have someone who finally says maybe that's not a bad idea. Yeah. So it's just give yeah. me a couple of quick, quickie comments just so. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think because college sports are one of the driving factors uh, in, in getting youth in warping youth sports, you know, if we took we as a country somehow were able to take, dramatically change college sports, it would remove the incentives. If you no longer had, suppose we did away with them and we just had intramural and club sports. Oh my God, imagine that. Um, parents wouldn't do this crazy stuff when the private leagues spend all their free time honing their kids lacrosse and basketball skills because it would, didn't have a promised payoff. But you know, what if I think people forget that, um, that, and I should point out that Rick Eckstein at Villanova is kind of the one who's thought of these things. What if we did away with recruiting? You know, that in the past, um, college sports used to be like high school sports. You tried out when you got there. I mean, imagine how that would, how different that would be. You'd still have kids playing, but they wouldn't have been, you know, through this process, this winnowing process where they, you know, they give up their lives for 10 years before they arrive on campus. And they're going to showcases when they're eight. It's crazy, you know? And if you, what if you stop giving scholarships, athletic scholarships, and you just gave scholarships, I'm not saying deprive the needy from going to college, but make it based on not strictly athletics, but, you know, athletics is just, you know, like we, the way if we treated athletics, the way we treat musicians or drama or any other skill, special skill, you know, what about doing that? How would that, that all, if we did these kinds of things at the collegiate level, where we kind of reduced the impact of sports, the value of sports in college, it would really, I think it would have this trickle down effect on youth sports that would kind of right the ship. And even with, with the way it is now, what I've read it, it with lots of research and, and surveys and data is that most kids who get an athletic scholarship don't get a full ride. Oh, they no. get a small amount. And you, there are way more 
academic scholarships and you'd oh, be yes. much better off investing in which I don't want parents to do investing <laughs> in enrichment classes or tutors yes. or whatever. I don't want them. Please don't hear. I just said, yeah, that, yeah, no, but of course that's right. Because look, 6% of high school athletes play in college, 2% of high school athletes get any money at all. Most of them, you know, only it's, it's a very small portion of kids who get a so-called full ride. Yeah. And, you know, that's just, it's the wishful thinking, the idea that this is, you know, having your, the little superstar player, the idea that that child is going to get a free ride to college is, is, you know, it's not nothing to bank on. It's a nice thought and who knows, but you shouldn't be banking on it. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for coming on Raising Daughters. I really appreciate that. And if people want to get a hold of you, uh, what's, what's your website so they can find you? It's lindaflanaganauthor.com. And, you know, I'm happy to email with anybody or Talk to anybody who's wants to carry on the conversation. You can contact me through that. And I'll put I'll put that link on on my show notes, and also a link to your book. And by the way, her book, as I've mentioned before, her book is called "Take Back the Game: How Money and Mania Are Ruining Kids Sports and Why It Matters." It's a great read. I think anybody who has kids who are in youth sports, it, I think you should read the book. It, it'll give you some perspective, and maybe you could actually step back from yourselves and and start setting some intentions that work for you and your family, as opposed to trying to keep up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Amen. Well, best of <laughs> luck with your book. And I really appreciate you you coming on with this. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, that was interesting. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Linda Flanagan. I also hope you all will get her book, Take Back the Game. It really is a good read. It's an easy read, a good read. I think you get a lot of information about youth sports and maybe help you make some decisions about you and your kids. Uh, I appreciate you coming by each week. I will put some links into my show notes, as I said. I will be back here in a week with another episode of Raising Daughters. Thanks so much for stopping by. (laughs) 